Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Rev. Dale Cohen. January 16th, 2021. I want to welcome you to the First Words podcast of First United Methodist Church in Florence, Alabama. I'm Dale Cohen, Senior Pastor. And this is the third and final message in a series on Hey, Aren't You My Neighbor? And today I'm going to be talking about no fear. I'm going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, the seventh chapter, beginning in the 36th verse and going all the way through the 50th verse. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to go eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was new to the little country church and still wet behind the ears. Asking about the homebound members to visit, everybody told me about Miss Opal and how she could tell me all about the church and the community. I said I'd call to arrange a visit, but they quickly informed this city boy that in the country, neighbors don't call, they just drop by. So one day, I was close to Miss Opal's house visiting another parishioner, and I decided to stop by for a visit. I pulled in the gravel driveway, got out of my car, and headed up to the front door. There was no doorbell, so I knocked, too softly at first, but then too loudly. I heard a muffled, angry, I'm coming, as feet shuffled along with the sound of a walker intermittently sliding across the floor. Then I heard a series of three locks unlocking. A fourth, 
a chain lock, pulled taut as the door jerked open about three inches and the barrel of a thirty-eight snub-nosed revolver popped through. It was pointed right at me, and I could see a finger firmly planted on the trigger. A raspy old voice said, Who are you? I nervously stuttered, Miss Opal, I'm your new preacher. Her gruff voice immediately turned sugary sweet as she pulled the gun back, closed the door enough to unhook the chain, and then opened it, inviting me in for the first of many delightful and less stressful visits. I think it took me an hour to get my heart rate back to normal. Miss Opal shared how a door-to-door salesman came to her door a few years earlier, but she was sure he was a robber who was casing her house. Her son bought her the thirty-eight for protection. Sure enough, a few days later, the guy came back knocking after dark, and when she met him at the door with the gun pointed at him, he took off, and she hadn't seen him since. Miss Opal lived on an isolated rural road, so it was good to be cautious about strangers lurking around. But sometimes we're overly protective because we fear all the bad things we hear about in the 24-7 news cycle. When we don't know our neighbors, we can become suspicious of people we see practically every day. Perhaps there's a man who keeps to himself and he comes and goes at strange hours, so you're uneasy about approaching him. Maybe the kids in your neighborhood have parents who don't share the same values as you, and so you're anxious about allowing your kids to play with theirs. You may be uneasy about a family on your block that always seems to have drama in their lives. Occasionally, you even hear arguing and shouting, but you're afraid to get involved. I'm not suggesting we dismiss our concerns and blindly get involved with our neighbors. Our fear may be reasonable, protecting us from dangerous and unhealthy situations. However, we can exaggerate our suspicions to the point they become obstacles to fulfilling the great commandment to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we're going to neighbor well, we must understand our fears and respond appropriately. First John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Our gospel for today can help us address any fears in reaching out to our neighbors. Luke's story of the woman who crashes a dinner party has some important lessons about neighboring. Having heard Jesus was in attendance, the woman pushes her way to where Jesus is already seated. Overwhelmed by his gracious presence, she breaks down, crying, and her tears fall on his feet. Letting down her hair and using it as a towel, she dries them and kisses them. Then she breaks open a jar of ointment to rub on them. Her actions align with good hospitality, something Simon, the Pharisee, the host, failed to extend. The woman's presence is a double insult. First, that she offered hospitality the host failed to provide, bringing embarrassment to him. And second, that due to her reputation as a sinner, her presence rendered all those in attendance as unclean. Jesus intuits his host's disgust with this woman and calls him by name, offering a story about two people who owed money, one a small amount, but the other a significant sum. Their creditor canceled both debts. 
Jesus asks, which of the two debtors loves the creditor more? Simon replies, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. And then Jesus turned toward the woman, but still speaking to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? Simon had ignored her from the time she walked into the party. She was not a Pharisee. She was a sinner. She was not a man, but a woman. She epitomized Simon's perception of an other. After she inserted herself into the traditional role of hostess, then Simon finally paid attention to her. But even then, he wasn't looking at her. He saw only his mental construct of her as a sinner. Something is interesting in the original Greek. It says this woman was a sinner. The word is past tense. And there's no indication that whatever her sin was, that she's still sinning. That's why Jesus asked Simon, do you see her? Because he didn't. He othered her. Whenever our preconceived ideas tempt us to other someone, Jesus calls us to see them for who they are, not for who we imagine them to be. Now, I want to talk about ways to improve our ability to truly see people, especially those who are our neighbors. First of all, I think it's important that we inquire instead of assuming. When confronted with a limited amount of information, our minds are programmed to fill in the gaps. We do this by making assumptions. Often, these assumptions are rooted in stereotypes that limit our ability to get to know people. We make assumptions without even realizing it. Let me give you an example. 70-year-old man went to his doctor for a checkup, and the doctor was amazed at his overall physical condition. Thinking it might be because of his genetics, the doctor asked, how old was your father when he died? The man said, don't assume my father is dead. He's 90 years old, and he still plays golf every day, carrying his bag as he walks the whole course. The doctor said, well then, how old was your grandfather when he died? Don't assume my grandfather is dead, the man said. He's 110, and he just got married. The doctor said, why would a man want to get married at 110? The man said, don't assume he wanted to get married. Now, some of you may take a minute to think about that before you get it, but hang in there. We form our assumptions on our limited observation of others' behavior, past experiences, and what we perceive others might be thinking. We act as if, as if we can read their minds and accurately assess their intentions, but we can't. Relying on our assumptions without testing them allows us to dismiss people without even talking with them. And this, is a, this habit is a danger to them and us. There are potential consequences when we rely on our assumptions about others. For one thing, we lose trust. But we also become more reactive to even the smallest of slights. Additionally, we limit the growth and development of others by dismissing their potential. And then finally, we miss opportunities for deepening relationships. So instead of assuming things about our neighbors and their behaviors, 
We're actually being more loving if we stay curious and seek opportunities to ask clarifying questions. If our neighbor seems distant and cold, practice being neighborly before we assume they're unfriendly and invite them to dinner. Most of the transformative interactions Jesus had with others were over a meal. Breaking bread together opens channels of communication that otherwise may not develop. Give your neighbor the benefit of the doubt and wait to form an opinion of them until you've gotten to know them better. Proverbs says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So don't be, a fool, don't be a fool. Stay curious and seek understanding before you make assumptions. Challenging your preconceptions can lead to more authentic and meaningful relationships. But also in inquiring instead of assuming, I think it's important that we accept people where they are. The world is a complicated place full of very different people all trying to understand what's going on around them. It's easy for us to try to impose our Christian worldview on those around us, thinking that our point of view is more legitimate, more insightful, or more enlightened than theirs. One of the best neighbors I've ever had wasn't a Christian. He was a camel, cigarette, chain-smoking, whiskey-guzzling atheist and an accountant who did my tax returns for free simply because I was his neighbor. One of the biggest compliments I ever got was when he told me he hated me because I destroyed his negative stereotype of Christians. He said after getting to know me, he could only say that some Christians were a scourge on humankind instead of being able to say all Christians. What did I do? I loved him with God's unconditional love. Loving him was easy because he was such a fun and lovable guy. The first time I invited him to church, I got an earful of what's wrong with the church and all the hypocrites who go there. I said that I really couldn't argue with him about that. But then I said, imagine how much worse those people would be if they didn't go to church. And he said he never thought of that, but he would consider it. Because I listened to him he was more willing to listen to me. And if the Holy Spirit can't convince someone of their need for God, what makes us think we can do better? The ability to accept other people for who they are rather than who we want them to be is essential to being a good neighbor. We can more powerfully connect with someone by accepting them for who they are and trusting God to work through us in their lives. In the book of Romans, we read, Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not to quarrel over opinions. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord can make them stand. Our neighbors may not share the same values or beliefs that we have. Agreement with us is not a condition for loving them. I've had Jewish neighbors, Muslim neighbors, Buddhist neighbors, and Hindu neighbors, and God didn't call me to love them only if they became Christian. He calls us to love others as they are and to allow God's love to shine through us. We can't argue people into the kingdom of God. We can only love them 
into the kingdom of God. The third thing is that we need to understand that drawing a wider circle of grace won't please all our religious friends. Let's not pretend that everybody agrees with me on this perspective of accepting people where they are. There are plenty of religious people who think our job is to draw a line in the sand, and if people refuse to accept Jesus, we write them off and move on to more receptive people. There are still Pharisees who refuse to eat with tax collectors and sinners and who will condemn us if we do. But before we get too far down that road, let's not forget Rabbi Jesus, who the Pharisees accused of mingling with the renegades and low-life people of his day, even partying with them. Matthew says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. The hyper-religious Pharisees were obsessed with maintaining an air of moral superiority. But Jesus couldn't care less about his reputation. Still, the Pharisees tried to outdo him in holy living, but they exposed their shallow faith built on illusions about their self-righteousness that they falsely touted as holiness. The woman at the dinner party is just one of many examples of Jesus lowering the bar for those with whom he was willing to associate. He showed everybody he met the same love and respect as a good neighbor does, regardless of whether they were a Jew or one of his followers. He wasn't afraid of people who were different from him. As a matter of fact, he enjoyed being with them and learning more about them. Jesus saw everyone. The scripture affirms this where it says, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love, but the one to whom little is forgiven, loves little. Do we see our neighbors? Do we really see them in their complexity, their humanity, and in their belovedness to God? It's our job to love them regardless of who they are or who they aren't. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change them, not ours. We can only be a conduit for God's amazing love and grace to reach them, even if we make other religious people uncomfortable when we do. Let's set aside our fears and love our neighbors as ourselves. This week, I want to challenge you to take a risk and to reach out to your neighbors. Six-year-old Blake Rajan demonstrates getting over our fear and loving our neighbors really well for a six-year-old. His mother, Nikki, made screen-printed t-shirts, so she offered to make him one with anything on it he liked for his first day of school. She figured he would want something to do with football, basketball, or another sport. Instead, Blake asked her to make a shirt that said, I will be your friend. 
He explained his shirt would let all the kids who needed a friend know that he was there for them. While most kids are self-consciously worried about fitting in or feeling rejected at school, Blake thought of his neighbors. Go and do likewise. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of First Words, and we hope that you'll be back next week and also check us out. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc. 